John chapter 20, there we go. And now, on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb early, while it was still dark, and saw that the stone had been taken away from the tomb. So she ran and went to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one whom Jesus loved, and said to him, They have taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we do not know where they have laid him. So Peter went out with the other disciple, and they were going towards the tomb. Both of them were running together, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. And stooping to look in, he saw the linen cloths lying there, but he did not go in. Then Simon Peter came following him, and he went into the tomb, and he saw the linen cloths lying there, and the face cloth which had been on Jesus' head, not lying with the linen cloths, but folded up in a place by itself. Then the other disciple, who had reached the tomb first, also went in, and he saw and believed. For as yet they did not understand Scripture, that he must rise from the dead. Then the disciples went back to their homes. But Mary stood weeping outside the tomb, And she wept and stooped to look into the tomb. And she saw two angels in white sitting where the body of Jesus had lain, one on the head and one at the feet. And they said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? And she said to them, They have taken away my Lord, and I do not know where they have laid him. Having said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there. But she did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? Supposing him to be the gardener, she said to him, Sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you've laid him, and I will take him away. And Jesus said to her, Mary. And she turned and said to him in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher, and Jesus said to her, Do not cling to me, for I have not yet ascended to my Father. But go to my brothers and say to them, I am ascending to my Father and to your Father, to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene went and announced to the disciples, I have seen the Lord, and that he has said these things to her. May God add his blessing to the reading of his word. Would you pray with me? So, so Father, this is an amazing passage. Um, the darkness of Friday, and the darkness of the death of your son, and when he said it was finished and he breathed his last, I, I, the hopes must have been shattered for these disciples and for those that followed him. Their faith must have been questioned. Maybe it was even dead in some ways. They, all the doubts and the confusions that were coming at them and flooding through their minds and then one night and another night and the next day, Lord. And they go to the tomb, Father, and they want to just prepare your son's body in a respectable way and the tomb is empty. Lord, we know that that means your son has risen from the grave and we praise you for that and we serve a risen Savior. He is in this world today. But Father, they did not completely understand it. So help us to wrestle with that. 
And help us to see this very first Christian, the first person that's going to see your risen Savior and speak the good news of the gospel of grace. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So I want you to think of a time where you go through really great sorrows and great troubles and and maybe it's right now and maybe there's a great loss that has happened in your life and you just cannot imagine uh, what is going on and this loss is so great and you feel so overwhelming and you feel such discouragement in life and and in the confusion and you just do not know if you can make it through the next day and and emotions are these wonderful gifts that God has given us but emotions um, can be deceitful at times God has wired every single one of us with the ability to have emotions. And it doesn't matter what culture you come from. It doesn't matter where you've grown up. Every one of us have emotions. Now, some of us display them a little bit more extravagantly externally, and some of us are a little bit more reserved. But the reality is is that all of us have been emotions because we've been made in the image of God. They've been crafted into us. Emotions move us into action. They cause us to do something, whether it's fear to protect ourselves or anger to deal with an injustice that is there. There is some emotion that is driving us into action. And I want you to think of the greatest joys of your life. The greatest times of your life and the greatest joys of your life will be connected to emotion, but also some of the deepest sorrows and the deepest agonies of your life will be also tied to emotions. We see just in the life of Jesus that Jesus was at his, his friend's tomb. And you remember the shortest verse in the Bible, Jesus what? He wept before his, his friend's tomb. Oftentimes we see Jesus filled with compassion for people. He was moved with pity. There were times where he was angry. He was grieved at the hardness of the heart of the Pharisees that was there. And as we've heard just a couple of weeks ago, how he was in the garden and he is feeling such sorrow. Um, My heart is very sorrowful, the agony that is there. So emotions can be at your highest heights and, and at your lowest and most difficult times of your life. The problem with us as human beings is that our emotions can be twisted with sin The fact that we are sinners impacts the way we see things and how we feel things, and we need to understand that. Also, because we do not have all knowledge, we do not have all the information, so sometimes our feelings can be absolutely mistaken. And what I think we'll see here is that Mary's feelings are deep. They are real feelings, but they're not based on reality. And once she realizes the reality, it changes the way she feels. So I want you to know that emotions, as wonderful as they are, can be twisted by sin. And and one of the beauties of the gospel is that God can redeem us from those emotions. He can take us through those times and he can, by prayer, by humility, by faith, transform us and change us. So I want you to put yourself in Mary's shoes. I want you to put yourself in the disciples' shoes. They are standing before a tomb. And the tomb that had a body of their Savior just days before, and now it's empty. Their faith in many ways has seemingly died. Their hope has been dashed. They're filled with the deepest disillusionment and despair and disappointment. Their faith has been shattered, and now they flee and they scatter in fear. 
You know, at the end of this chapter, if you get a chance to read it, we're going to see that the disciples have great fear because of the Pharisees or the Jews, but Thomas is doubting, maybe even more than that, he is just out and out rejecting the truth. All these emotions are all over the place here. And as we look at this passage, I want to walk through the first several verses, but I want to really camp on Mary Magdalene. But let's look here at the first verse It says, now on that first day of the week, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb early. Mary's an interesting woman, and if you look in Luke chapter 8, verse 2, you are going to find that she is a woman of which Jesus drove out seven demons. This woman was uh, plagued with demons, and she was overwhelmed by them, and, and the Lord Jesus Christ came and touched her and healed her and removed those demons from her life and and she was forever set free and now she is committed to devoted to in love with the lord jesus christ she apparently is also a woman of wealth and she is one of the women that was helping to support their ministry that's mary magdalene well, she, is, she was there at the day that Christ died. She was there to be part of the team that helped to put him in the tomb. And now she is coming here on Sunday morning looking to take care of what needed to be taken care of on Friday. Apparently, they did not get all of the spices. They used a number of spices to preserve the body, and they were not able to do all of that, apparently, by the time sundown had come. We had Passover coming. So they had done just enough to get him into the tomb, but they wanted to come back. And early in the morning, we are going to find that she and a number of other women are going to come to the tomb. Other gospel writers are going to talk about a group of women that are coming. John seems to mention only Mary, and I believe that it's only because she is one of the leaders here. That's it. So the gospels are correct. There are a number of women that are coming together, but Mary is here, and she goes into this tomb, and she see, or she goes to the tomb, and she sees that the stone has been rolled away, has been taken away. And so she now, recognizing that there is a stone rolled away, she is extremely concerned. I, when I think of Mary, I want you to consider this. This woman who had demons, seven demons in her life, is now going to be used by the Lord Jesus Christ to share the good news to his brothers. And I just think this is such a precious point of hope. I don't know what your past is, what troubled past you've gone through. I don't know what shattered things that you've done. I don't know what the challenging things that you're going through right now. I don't know the life-dominating patterns that have gotten hold of your life. But what I do know is this, that we have a God who can forgive us. We have a God who can free us. And we have a God who wants to transform you and use you for his glory, by his grace and for his glory. And that's, that's Mary's life. Mary didn't get caught up in the fact that I had seven demons and I can't be used by God. She wanted to serve the Lord. So I want you, don't lose hope. No matter what the struggle is, don't be paralyzed by your fears. Don't be hindered by your doubts or discouragement. Continue to focus on the person of Christ and love him and seek to serve him. But now they have a dilemma because in verse 1, we find that she's come to the tomb, but they don't know where the body is. It's dark. 
It's interesting that John uses the phrase dark. Throughout his gospel, if you've been seeing us, he's been talking about this um, contrast between light and darkness, life and death, over and over again. So it's dark outside. Mary was probably one of the first of the women to get there to the tomb. She has gotten there early. The other women come, and they see that the stone is rolled away. So what does she do in verse 2? She runs, and she went to Peter. She went to John, the, the chief apostle here, and she went to John, and she says, they've taken the Lord out of the tomb. See, the theory that she had proposed in her mind when she saw the tomb that was empty, the only theory that could come to her mind is that somebody must have stolen the body. That seems a little um, weird to us. But in this culture, apparently, they would go into tombs and steal bodies. They would go into tombs, especially rich tombs, and they would go in there and take artifacts out of there or precious things out of there. So this is not something that was uncommon. In fact, it was a capital punishment if you ever robbed a grave. So when Mary sees this tomb, she assumes that the body has been stolen by someone. See, the thing about emotions are this. Whatever we believe deeply, we are going to feel passionately about. And that's what she's thinking deeply about. She believes it, and she feels it deeply, and she runs to Peter and John and says, they've taken the body. Verses 3 through 5, John arrives at the tomb and looks into the tomb. So what happens is that we see Peter running, and that John is running as well. Um, Well, he says the disciple whom Jesus loved, or the other disciple, in all likelihood, this is John uh, talking about himself. And John is running to the tomb, and some believe that because Peter may have been older and John may have gotten there to the tomb before, he looks into the tomb, but he doesn't go in. Peter then arrives in verses 6 and 7, but Peter, you know, his impetuous Peter, he doesn't just look into the tomb, he runs right into the tomb, and he's looking down there, and what we see is that Peter is surmising what is happening. He's trying to understand, he's trying to calculate, he's looking at the clothes, the grave clothes. If somebody was going to steal a body, why would you unwrap the grave clothes? Why would you take the head, the, the face shield off? Why would you do all of that? That doesn't make sense. He's trying to contemplate it in his mind. Emboldened by Peter, John now enters the tomb as well. But John, when he enters the tomb in verse 8, it says, when he reached the tomb first, he went in and he saw and he, what? Believed. We're not told of Peter's belief at this point. We're not even told of John's complete belief because we'll see in other passages where it seemed like they were still struggling with understanding that the Christ must be risen. And in fact, in verse 9, it says this, and yet they did not understand the scripture that he must rise from the dead. What scriptures? You know, there were passages in, in Psalms that says, for you will not abandon your, my soul to Sheol. Or, or in Hosea, it says, after two days he will revive us, and on the third day he will raise up that we may live before him. Whatever it is, they have some information that the body is not there. And then they make a transition because Peter and John go back to their homes in verse 10. And that's where we have the story of the first Christian, Mary. In verse 11, we see Mary in the misery of Mary. In verses 11 and 13 and 15, you'll see a continual word here, weeping. 
In verse 11, it said, Mary stood weeping outside the tomb, and as she wept, she stooped in and looked into the tomb. Verse 13, then they said to her, why, woman, why are you weeping? In John, in John 15, ver, uh, 20, verse 15, it says, woman, why are you weeping? Jesus is actually asking her. Her, her grief is intense, and it's creating this chaos in her life. And she's having these emotional spirals, and she's continuing to weep. She is depressed. She is despondent. She's disillusioned. She is despairing. Her faith has been shattered. Her hope has been dashed. This lingering grief is hanging on in her life. This incredible loss. Every one of us in this room has lost someone. Mary lost her Savior, she believed. She lost the Messiah that was going to set Israel free. She lost the very foundation of her life, the man who had set her free from these demons, this man that had been preaching the good news. She believed that he was going to rescue Israel. And now he's gone. And she's gone. She's dis- discouraged. It's interesting that the... Um, she looks in, and as she's going through this, she is standing by this tomb weeping. I wonder how many of us have felt some of these exact pains and miseries. And I want you to know that God cares about your pain. One of my favorite scriptures is Second Corinthians chapter 1. It says that the Father is the Father of all compassion that he is there with you in all of your miseries, in all of your struggles, that there is hope, that God loves you. God is compassionate, he's gracious, he's full of mercy, and he says to us to rest in him. Come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you what? Rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. That in the midst of all of your misery, and as Mary is going through this intense misery right now, She needs to rest on the person and work of Christ. But that leads to the second thing that I see here, the mistaken beliefs of Mary. The misery of Mary leads to the mistaken beliefs by Mary. She is still locked in on the fact that they've stolen the body. She is still locked in on the fact, and you could see it as she talks to these angels. She says when she saw the two angels in white sitting there and the body uh, of Jesus had lain, one at the head and one at the feet, they said to her, woman, why are you weeping? And she said to them, they have taken away my Lord, and I do not know where they've laid him. She is still locked in on the fact that the body of the Lord Jesus Christ has been stolen. I find it interesting that she is looking for a dead Savior. She is not looking for a risen Savior. And that's the thing with our emotions. Our emotions don't determine the responses that we make. It's our interpretation of those events that cause us to respond a certain way. How many of you have ever used the phrase, you've made me angry? You made me yell at you. You made me do this. So we we have a tendency to look at the event or the circumstance and we say that they're the ones that are causing the response I'm having. But the reality is this. It's not the event that causes the response. It's the event through the funneling of my interpretation that causes me to respond a certain way. Why is it that John could look in that same tomb, same event, and interpret it differently than Mary and walk away and believe? Why can Mary look at that same tomb and interpret it differently and believe that somebody's stolen the body? 
Her emotions are being triggered and the responses that she is having are being triggered by what she believes and her beliefs are mistaken. Our emotions, as wonderful as they are, are tainted and they need to be anchored to the exposition of God's word. And it's amazing that even emotions can be changed in a moment as soon as your interpretation changes. We'll see that in a moment here with Mary. Your emotions are always telling you something about what you are valuing. They're telling you something about what you care about, what you love, and it is clear that Mary loved Christ deeply. She just didn't have a big enough Savior in her mind. So I want you to think about the mistaken beliefs that Mary had. We find ourselves when we get more emotional, we will lose rationality. Sometimes, have you ever noticed that you could get yourself into tunnel vision? You get so locked in on a particular viewpoint that this is the only option. You meant to do this to me because of this. You know, we lock in on a particular option. Well, in many ways, Mary is locking in on the fact that somebody has stolen the body. Faith is, is interesting because faith is some people look at faith versus reason, or they look at faith versus um, science, and they say that you are people of faith, but I am a person of rationale. But the reality is this, all of us, whether you're a believer or not, have a faith. You have a faith or a belief. The question is whether your faith or belief is true or not. Mary's faith is that somebody stole the body. John's faith is that he is risen. What do you believe? So her mistaken beliefs are causing her to really struggle here. Can I take a short excursus for you for a moment? If you get a chance, look at the Exodus and look at the Ark of the Covenant. I find it interesting that at the head and at the foot of where Jesus laid are two what? They're two angels. And on the Ark of the Covenant, on the mercy seat, on top, what they would pour blood on to symbolize what Christ was going to do for us, we have an angel at both sides. I don't know if that's the connection here, but I find it interesting that there's an angel at the head and an angel at the foot, and it reminds me of that Ark of the Covenant. So Mary is going through great misery, and Mary is mistaken in her beliefs. But then Mary, here's somebody behind her. I don't know why. Maybe there was some movement. Maybe there was a shadow. But in verse 14 and 15, we see that she turned around and she saw Jesus. Now, it's interesting that she saw with her eyes, but she didn't see with her heart. She did not recognize Jesus. She saw with her eyes, Jesus. And, and some wonder why it is it that she could not have recognized Jesus at this time. And I have no idea. There, she was crying um, uh, great tears. Maybe her eyes are clouded. Maybe she's in a dark tomb and she's looking out and there's light coming in. Um, some have said that the risen body looks radically different than who we are today. Um, In Luke chapter 24, it says that um, the vision of Christ was hidden from them. I'm not completely sure, but she looks at Christ. She doesn't recognize him. She doesn't immediately recognize him. And she says to him, or he says to her, Woman, why are you weeping? A mild rebuke. 
Why are you weeping? And then he asks her a second question. Whom are you seeking? See, the first question is kind of like a little bit of a mild rebuke that you, you're, you're at an empty tomb. I told you I was going to rise. The second question is probably an invitation to her. I want you to reflect on not a dead Savior. I want you to reflect on a risen Savior that is here for you today. And supposing him to be the gardener, she still doesn't get it. She supposes him to be a gardener. And she said to him, Sir, polite, if you carried him away, tell me where you've laid him and I will take him away. So once again, in her mistaken beliefs, she is struggling to understand where her Lord's body is. And then we have this beautiful verse in verse 16. We move from the misery of Mary to the mistaken beliefs of Mary, to the majesty of the risen Christ. Jesus said to her, Mary. Jesus knows your name. You may be sitting here and you may feel like you are completely unknown. Maybe there are people around you that don't have a clue of who you are. I am telling you, that your creator knows you. He, he planned you from before all time. He knows you. He knows your name. But, but even more intimately, for those of us that know the Lord Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, he is our brother. God is our father. The Holy Spirit is the greatest counselor, our greatest friend. He knows you. Don't ever forget that. And he, he, she, he says, Mary... And in a single word, it has shattered her blindness, the blindness that she has been having, that somebody has stolen the body. In one word, Mary, it's been shattered. Her hopes are relived again. And she turns to him and says in Aramaic, Rabboni, teacher. So many people question the resurrection and... uh, this is one of the clear signs of the resurrection. Why did God choose of all people to have Mary be the first one to see him risen? And greater than that, why a woman? Because if you know anything about this culture, sad to say, a woman's testimony in a court would mean nothing. But what the Lord Jesus Christ, what the Father planned to do was that it was going to be through a woman. That makes it so clear to me that this could not have been made up. If they had fabricated this, they would never have chosen a woman to be the first one to see him because her testimony is not going to be revealed in court. It's a clear sign that Jesus Christ is who he says he was. Jesus, Mary now becomes the first person to see the risen Christ. Her faith had died, but now it leaps for joy. Her hope was dashed, but now it is new. And in some ways, Mary has been reborn in a moment. Alive, the majesty of Christ. I see the Lord, the song goes. I see the Lord exalted high above the worship of the people of the earth. I see the Lord I see the Lord. My eyes have seen the King, the Lamb upon His throne, and He reigns forever, forevermore. The misery of Mary, the mistaken beliefs of Mary have now led to the the majesty of Christ. Christ 
has appeared to her. And he has said, Mary, I've got a a mission for you. And he gives her a message, and he says this, Don't cling to me, for I've not yet ascended to my father, but go to my brothers and say to them, I am ascending to my father and your father, to my God and to your God. It's interesting that this, this message that he gives her is a message that I've died, I was buried, and I have risen again. He, he not only gives that message, but he gives a message that we are adopted by God in Christ. We are his children. What a privilege. In, in Romans chapter 8, it says this. In verse 15 and 16, it says this. For you did not receive a spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received a spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father, the Spirit himself bearing with witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, heirs, heirs of God, and fellow heirs with Jesus Christ. What an immense privilege. What a message of hope that Mary has now been given. And in a moment, her emotions went from dashed to hopeful, devoted, passionate. I've got a message to share. I wonder if your eyes have been so open to see the Lord. I wonder if you look upon the one who has risen, or do you look at a dead Savior? I, I wonder if you look upon somebody who is a small Savior or grand Savior, a majestic one. How big is your Savior today? Somebody once gave an illustration of you're running through the woods, and as you're running through the woods, you hear a bear that's coming behind you, and now you have to leap and you have three limbs to grab for. And one of those limbs you're going to have to grab for to get away from this bear that's coming at you. So you're, you, it doesn't matter whether your faith is deep and strong or your faith is small and weak. You have to pick which limb you're going to grab onto. See, one limb is going to support you and the other one is going to plunge you to the depth. And the question I ask of you today is this. Who are you trusting in? Jesus Christ is the Savior of this world, and he deserves our trust and praise. And he says to Mary, I've got this message of good news of hope. Don't cling to me, meaning don't let, let me go. I, I'm, I'm going to be here for a while. What I need you to do is I'm preparing to go home. Take my message and share it with my family. And then he gives her a final mission, verse 18. Take that message to my brother's. And Mary obediently, immediately went and announced to the disciples, I have seen the Lord. The good news of the gospel, the lost have been found, the darkness has been light, death is life. She says, I've seen the Lord, and we are God's children. They still struggled with believing it. They didn't understand it completely. But that's what emotions do for us. So I want you to think about this. Emotions are these wonderful gifts that God has given us. And we see Mary's emotion of grief and the disciples' emotion of fear and Thomas's emotions of doubt. But your emotions are going to be determined based on how you interpret a situation. You must anchor him to the truth. So today, do you recognize that in Christ 
You are saved not by legalism, by the works that you do. You're saved not by your race. You're not saved by your rank. You're not saved because you take part in a communion service. You're not saved because you went into the waters of baptism. You're not saved because you keep the law or you're not saved because you don't. You are saved simply because you trust in the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior. And it's in that simple act of forgiveness that God has granted you the merits of Christ's righteousness. You are given a free act of grace. You are pardoned from all of your sins. You are accepted as righteous. It's not based on what you do. It's based on what Christ has done and what God has done is accredited to your account and you are saved by grace through faith alone in Christ alone. So I guess I ask you, what limb are you holding on to today? See, if you jump with great faith, but you grab onto the wrong limb, you will plunge. And there are millions upon millions upon millions of people that are fervent in their religion, but they are grabbing onto the wrong limb, and they are plunging into death. You can be sitting here with small faith, but if you grab onto the right limb, the person of Christ, there is hope. Faith is interesting. Faith starts with having some facts, knowledge. You need to know that you're a sinner. And you need to know that the Lord Jesus Christ came here and he is the only way of salvation. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. It's a fact. But it's not enough to know that fact or the content of the gospel that I am a sinner under God's judgment, but I can be rescued because of the work of Christ. It's not enough to know that fact. I must be in agreement with that fact. I must accept and recognize that that gospel is true. You can't have saving faith unless you recognize it's true. But it's not enough to know the content of the gospel. It's not even enough to be in recognition of the gospel that it's true in agreement with it. You must internalize it. You must make it your own. You must personalize it. Make it your personal belief. Satan and the demons know the first two. They know the facts of the gospel and they know in agreement that Jesus Christ is the risen Lord. They just don't internalize it. It's not enough to know the facts. It's not even enough to be in agreement with those facts. You must internalize it, and you must make a total commitment. You must turn away from your sin, and you must turn to Christ alone as the only one that can redeem you, the only one that can rescue you. He has to become a big savior to your sin. Your sin may be mounting, but Christ's grace is greater. So turn from your sin and turn to Christ. And it is really only a faith where we have hope that perseveres hope that endures just know this he knows your name he knows your every thought he sees every tear that falls and he hears you when you call let me just end with this James Montgomery Boyce said that uh, I'm just going to read this to you you may be one who has never known any of these three responses neither faith nor hope nor love. You say you cannot believe that you have no grounds for hope, that you do not see how you can love him. If this is your case, may I suggest that you begin with love. Begin with the knowledge that God loves you, that love is shown by his death for you. 
He commends his love to you by this fact. Romans said this, but God demonstrated his love to you while you were still a sinner, Christ died for us. Can you not focus on the death on your behalf and love him for that? I'm convinced that if you do focus on his death, you will hear him call your name, and when he does, you will recognize him and respond to him. So whether your name is Mary or Martha or Lazarus or Tim, Doug or James, he knows your name. He wants to rescue you. He's given you the path of peace, faith, hope, and love. But the greatest of these is what? Will you love the Lord Jesus Christ today? So, Father, I pray that you would help us to see this very first person that got to see your son, the risen Savior. And as Mary was running to the tomb and she was so caught up in her misery and her mistaken beliefs were were challenging her over and over again and fueling that emotion. Father, I thank you for the fact that you you gave her the majestic view of your risen son. And not only did he, she get a chance to see Christ, she got a message, a message of hope, the same message of hope. Actually, we have a greater one because we have the fulfillment of it. We have this message of hope for a dark world, a dying world, a lost world. Help us to trust it and believe it. Help us to see our Savior as big, not a small one. Our Savior is alive, not a dead one. And when we have that majestic message in front of us, help us to go on the mission to share it with others, people in our family, people in our, our friends, our neighbors, uh, those that are around us. And help us to glory in your son today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.